Six years of age, eh? How fast that goes. From, from nothing to six. Are you ready to receive this word? Last week I told you that I like to, uh, one of my fascinations is I like to go to different stadiums. I've been privileged to go to many stadiums uh, up and down our country. Football stadiums, uh, been to a few rugby stadiums, uh, cricket. Cricket's not a sport, so we don't class it as a stadium. And uh, certainly if you're an England fan right now, is not a good time to brag about cricket. So we only, brag, we only talk about cricket when we beat the Australians, and we don't do that often. So we don't have a... Cricket's officially not a sport, and so we win. And then it's a sport. Okay? But I like going to different stadiums, and I said to you, I remember going to uh, the City Tour they did, and uh, when they just opened up the stadium, when it was the Commonwealth. Actually, no, it was about two, two years after the Commonwealth. And, you know, you get the, the full stadium tour, and you go into the dressing room. And the dressing room is the place. That's the place you want to go to. Because then, and what you're allowed to do is you're allowed to sit in the seats of your hero. And mine's Sergio Aguero. And, uh, Aguero, whichever you want to pronounce it. And you sat there and you're trying to think, wonder what's going through his mind just before a game. And you're trying to imagine, you're trying to get yourself in the moment, aren't you? Well, I am anyway. It's like going backstage. Let's, let's liken it to going backstage to meeting your pop star. You know, we're not idol worshipping, but that's why I'm sat in the seat and he's not there. So I'm sat there and I'm imagining this and then you go out onto the hollow turf. You go onto the blue turf where it all happens, when they stuff Man U, where we win the Premier League and, you, and everything inside you just goes, I'm here, I'm in, I'm on the mo- I'm in the moment. I'm in the moment. And then that little, little voice inside you says, don't you be worshipping this. Don't you be worshipping it. Not Lord, I'm just come to have a look. Just come to look, just come to look. And then I remember the time when I worked at, in the other place, we won't call it because it's not a good place, it's a nasty place, you don't want to go there. Yeah, the Theatre of Screams, the Theatre of Screams, that place down the road where you have a devil on there. And it's the Champions League final. And Man U is not in the final. <laughs> and they got beaten in the semi-final. So it's, 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 it's an all, what you call an all-Italian final. And it's AC Milan versus Juventus. And Phil was there as well. And for some reason, I mean, when you've got a stadium of 76, 70, what's Old Trafford, 76? 76, major stadium. 76,000 people and Italians screaming. And it goes down to penalties. And that brings even more tension. Anyway, long story short, AC Milan win. But rather than bring the trophy through the conventional way, they don't. Because they set the stage up so they couldn't bring the trophy other way. They have to bring the, the trophy right round the other side. Guess where it goes? Right past me. The European Cup's in the president's hand. Leonardo John, uh, Johansson, right? Leonard, anyway, what is the dude who has, and he's got the European Cup. So we ushers him, and I'm there. That's the nearest I came to glory, and I'm thinking, my team's never going to win this. But I'm going to touch, and I'm in the moment. I'm in the moment. So here I am on another team's turf, and the biggest trophy in domestic football is passing through my eyes. Little did I know, was it? I can't remember. United won it after that, didn't they? 
we actually got to our pictures taken with the trophy. And there's something about being in the moment, going behind the scenes and seeing what takes place. So I've been very privileged to actually touch some hallowed moments. But you know, the only way we can go behind the scenes, spiritually speaking, is through the Holy Ghost. There is no way we can, we can imagine, we can see, we can think, we can conjure up. There's no way we can know what God knows unless we go through the Holy Spirit. He is the one that takes us beyond. And now, you see, when you go into the Spirit, he takes you directly into the players' changing room. He takes you into the trophy room. It's the trophy room of heaven. Out of all the cosmos, the universe, the throne room is the place. Very few people get there. I mean, I've been to Wembley. I've been to MCG. I've been to many, many stadiums. But there's nothing like the throne room. There's nothing like the players' changing room in heaven. I've been to heaven. I've seen a score a goal in heaven. And I'm sure you've touched heaven. You've gone in the throne room. But when you go into the throne room, God begins to show you who the key players are. When God begins to announce what he's doing, what is going to take place, he begins to reveal the key players. Who will be used? What their tactics will be? When we go into the players' changing room, into the throne room itself, God begins to show us our adversary and how he will respond to what we're just being told. He will tell us his movements, his tactics, his intent. Because his intent is to stop us gaining victory. But thank God, God is above anything Satan can do. But Satan doesn't stop having a goal. He's been given permission. Why? Because it brings God's purpose to fulfillment. He's a pawn in God's game. That's all he is. But he's a powerful pawn. Let's never underestimate him, but never let's give him any more than he needs. The name that is in you is higher and above any other name. Amen. So if you carry that name, then you can do all things through Christ. Amen. So there are three trinities. Three trinities that are in play. At any time, you may have to contend with them or you will encounter them. Three trinities. I thought there's only one. Well, pin back your ears and you'll find out there's three. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's the Trinity. That's the Trinity that we, we, are, we are raised with, we know, we love, we worship, we follow, we serve. That is the highest form, the highest power, the highest word, the highest love. That is the standard by which all men and all nations must come to. How many do you agree? That's the Trinity. That's the Holy Trinity. Three in one. But then there's the demonic Trinity. You've got Satan. Read your Bible. You've got the false prophet. And you've got the Antichrist. They all work in unison to stop what God wants to do on the earth. How many of you have witnessed the schemes of the enemy in your own life? Right. And then there is a soulish trinity. Me, myself, and I. 
And that trinity is just as powerful as the demonic trinity. Because my flesh works against God. So this, you could say there's two against one, but one doesn't, ma- one doesn't matter how many is against him because he's always the powerful one anyway. So your, your flesh, your blood, your will, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, the battle is on for that trinity. If you can conform to one of those patterns, either the world or to Christ, you're taken. Hello? You're taken. I don't know about you, but I wrestle with my flesh every day. And it doesn't always want to do what it needs to do and should do. And it wants to do what it shouldn't do. Yours like that? Thank goodness, I thought it was just me. Have you noticed every one of those trinities I've just mentioned has a voice, a character, and a nature? Every one of those trinities I've just mentioned has a voice, a nature, and a character. God has a voice. The enemy has a voice. Your flesh has a voice. You notice that? God has a character. The enemy has a character. You're a character. The voice, I should say, the, the, the trinity, it's got a nature. The enemy's got a nature. He kills, steals, and destroys. You've got a nature. So, they're all the same in that sense. Have you noticed every one of these trinities has an origin? Yes, everything came from above. Everything came from above. Every one of these trinities has power. You have power, you have power to say no. You have power to say yes. That's a power, believe me. That is a power. The enemy has power, albeit it's limited, but God has supreme power. And God has put supreme power in your hands so that you can over, so together with God, you can rise up and say no and yes. That's what makes us overcomers. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory, and Christ in us helps us to say no and yes to the things that need to be said no to and yes to. Amen? Every one of these trinities has a name. I've got a name. The enemy's got a name. The Father, Son, Holy Ghost has got a name. But thank God we've got a name that is above all other name. And it's not uncommon for God to give us new names. God gave me a new name, spiritually speaking, because a name changes the nature. God gave the church a new name. God, because if God was going to conform us into his image, God gives us the words, the names that represents his nature being formed in us. So there is three trinities. Everybody get that? That was free this morning. (laughs) Despite this trinity, voice and character, nature, and despite the trinity having an origin, name and power, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost has the ultimate power, and greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. If you stay in your flesh, you're not powerful. But if you stay in the spirit, you're powerful. Amen? And all these nations, all this world will one day bow down to the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Irrespective of how much power Satan's got, he hasn't got that power to overthrow. He's got power to destroy you. He's got power to to influence. He's got power to kill, steal, and destroy. But he hasn't got power to overrule. 
He tried that once before and got his face kicked in. Yeah? So let's get a, a clearer picture of this, this guy who's a defeated foe but acts like he, he owns the place. You know, some of you have got kids like that. They act like they own the place. And every now and then, a greater authority has to come and put them in place. And say, son, do you pay the bills? No. Right, I'm dad, you're not. Get that room cleaned up. Go and take the garbage out. Go and do what you need to do. A higher authority has to set. Every now and then, God's authority just reminds Satan, you're defeated. Just remember that. So Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Here's what he says about Satan. Get this in perspective now. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. Now, there's only one translation calls him Lucifer. Every other translation calls him son of the morning. O morning star, sorry. But the King James says he's Lucifer. Son of the dawn, you have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, here's the power base, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. But you haven't got a throne. I will sit enthroned in the mount of assembly on the uttermost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I'll make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, <laughs> to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you and ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? The man who made the world a desert, who overthrew its cities and who would not let its captives go home. Is a beautiful, powerful description that shows us where Satan was, where his origin was, and where he's now operating, and what he hasn't, can't, what he hasn't got anymore. He hasn't got what he, he thought he had. It's amazing to think that he wears many hats. Yeah? He starts off as Lucifer, as a created angel, and through rebellion, he's then banished into the throne room, which is the, uh, from the first heaven down to the third heaven, but he rules in the second heavens. He starts out as a serpent in the garden, but then ends up a dragon in the book of Revelation. This guy has character. He has, he can change. He's a chameleon. He's got different hats he can wear. But he can't do anything that he's not been purposed to do. Notice the desire of Satan's heart in verse 13. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. No, he won't. He's not higher than the church. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly and on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. There's something about Satan that wants to rule mountains. See this. There's something about his character that wants to sit and rule on mountains. But he's not only happy ruling on mountains, he wants to sit on the mountain. The mountain. He wants to be the top dog. The top dog. And when we say the top mountain, we mean Zion. We mean Zion. 
He wants to rule and reign in Zion, which is the sacred mountain of God. But he can't. So he rules and reigns on earthly mountains. Why? Because his purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. His purpose is to take the world to rack and ruin. And he's doing a good job. So we know he's got power. We know he's got the, the power to influence world economies. Oh, yes. World economies are manipulated by satanic forces. War is governed by, manipulated by satanic, demonic forces. If a nation goes into turmoil overnight, that's not natural. Spirits rule and reign and send whole nations, economies, politics, governments into chaos. Because there's always evil attached. When you look at some of the atrocities that's taken place, say for instance, Rwanda. Take Serbia, Kosovo. When you take, um, what's the place now? Iran, uh, Iraq. Take the Boko Haram. You take whatever militant force rises up, there's evil attached to it. There's evil attached to it. They rape, they, they pillage, they do disastrous things. It's demonic. There's no doubt about it, demonic. And the more evil it gets, the more of a downward spiral the nation become, uh, enters into. And we read about it on our news or in our papers and we feel safe because it's not happening to us. Thank God we have a stable government. Thank God. It could happen. It could happen. It could happen in here if we let it. If we let it. So he wants to rule on the mountain of God, but God won't let him rule on the mountain because he's been kicked out. He doesn't have that authority. He can't, there's no, God is not for one minute thinking we need to reinforce the gates of heaven. Guys, he's, get ready for the, for the assault. He's coming at any time he can come. No, he tells you he can come at any time. But we, God's not panicking that Satan's going to overthrow him. God only has to say a word to him and he's gone. Now that power that speaks to the enemy has been given to you. Has been given to me. So we can speak to the enemy and we can get him out of our territory. But it doesn't stop him trying. And he wants to see how determined you are and whether you really believe what you say you believe. Yeah? So he takes people. Now notice what he says in this. In the last verse, uh, uh, verse 17. The man who made the world a desert who overthrew its cities and would not let his captives go home. That's important. He's, he's got the nations a captive. That's his work. And where does he hold them captive? In the mountains. Let me just give you one simple explanation. We're frightened of losing our jobs, so we do what we're told we have to do. And fear rules in the mountains. Because if you don't do it, Dave, we'll replace you next week. So I'm now a puppet to the master because I'll lose my job. 
I've got too much riding, I can't afford to lose this job. Fear now is ruling us. Or I want to be free. Carol's going through this thing right now at work where a new manager comes in and he likes to shake up the place because he's got to show head office he's doing some, getting better results than the last guy. So now they've all got to put down their hours again, what they're willing and what they won't willing. Now Carol stood by and said, look, I'm not working Sunday. She's told them, I'm not working it, right? So we've stood by that, and I don't think how long she's been working there now, but this new manager comes in, he said, you need to give us something. I said, no, you need to remind him it's called part-time. It's part-time work here. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But what we'll do is we still will not give away our Sunday. We won't do it. We're not, com- we're not compromising it. But what we will do, we'll give you some other hours. I said, don't bring the, don't bring the discussion of church into it. Don't bring the discussion. Offer him something first and see how we go. So that's in the pipeline. We're not negotiating. We're not negotiating. And I keep telling you this. Don't negotiate. When you're taking a new job, you're starting afresh. Don't negotiate. Make it. Listen, if it was a Muslim, they wouldn't press it. So it depends Stick with God and let God work for you. I've had to do it. Phil's had to do it. Many of you had to do it. There are some lines. Listen, I'll give you, I'll give you my heart and I'll give you my, my body. But you won't take away the day I, it's, it's special to me. Now, I'm not religious. I'm not fighting for a day. I'm fighting for a principle. I don't like Sundays. I think it's the boring day. It's the most boring day of the week. I do. I actually think Sunday is the most boring day of the week. You might have a different day. You might think Monday's your boring day. Sunday to me, I've never liked Sundays. After I've been in church, to me, the rest of the day, let's get to Monday. Just, but that's just me. But I'm not giving up the principle. This is the day I meet with my family, church family. This is the day, this is the, day the Lord's made, and I'm going to rejoice in it. I'm not going to be captive. For it. Now, I've been tested in this area, so I can speak to you like this. God, back me up. Now, if you're a doctor or a nurse or in emergency services, I do understand things will happen. Right? We're not so religious that we say you have to be here every Sunday, but majority of the time you're here. Or you're around for the things of God. It's not just being here. It's being free for God to use you. Let's not make it about one day. Let's make it about free for God to use you. Let's not think we're smart because we give God one day. No, let's let's give God our life. Let's not get it down to one day. Church is not your life. We're not giving you a church life. We're giving you a God life. Walk with God. Don't come to church. Walk with God and you'll come to church. Many people go to church but don't walk with God. Let me say that again. I didn't say don't walk with God or don't come to church. I said walk with God, you'll come to church. Don't just come to church. Did I say that right? So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8 says this. When he ascended on high, speaking of Jesus Christ, he led captives in the train. So he took captives, what Satan had held captive, Jesus Christ now releases. So Jesus Christ has to undo the work that Satan's done. Yes? And he's doing it through the church. He's doing it through you and me. So he said he led captives and he gave gifts to men. 
What was those gifts? He gave the church the fivefold ministry. Pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist. And uh, which one did I miss? Well, last one. <laughs> the one I didn't say is that's the one. <laughs> what does the ascend mean except that he also descended to the lowly earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. In order to fulfill, in order to, sorry, in order to fill the whole universe. So Jesus Christ is above. If we're seated in Christ, we go above Satan. Our position has changed because we're in Christ. And he says here that he went higher than all the heavens. So whatever heaven Satan's in, Jesus Christ went higher. And don't forget, he got kicked out of one, so he's not, he can't be in the highest place. Jesus is in the highest heavens with his Father in order to fill the whole universe. So there's no place you can go where he's not been and where he is. Where can I go from your spirit, the psalmist said. Nowhere is the answer. So we know Jesus Christ now is in the business of setting captives free. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Why would he tell you, see, that no one takes you captive? Because he knows it's possible. It's happening every day. Now, it's so important here, how do we get taken captive? He tells us here, through hollow and deceptive philosophies. Every mountain, every domain in that mountain has a philosophy. Come on. <coughs> every mountain, every domain, every, every marketplace, every job, every company has a philosophy. It operates via its philosophy. Everybody with me? Every school has a philosophy. Every university has a philosophy. So he says, be careful that you don't get taken captive through hollow, deceptive, through hollow, deceptive, hollow, deceptive, hollow, deceptive. Philosophy, which depend on human traditions and on basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. So what he's telling me here is there's an alternative. If you're not following what Christ says, there's an alternative, and those alternatives are the basic traditions and philosophies of this world. This world has traditions. This world has philosophies. This world has hollow, deceptive philosophy. Would you all agree with that? And he's saying, guys, you've got to be very careful that you don't get taken captive by these things. Now, the issue is, do we know and do we recognize what is hollow? Do we know, excuse me, do we know and do we recognize, can we recognize what is deceptive? Do you know when you're working for a deceptive employer? Come on. Do you know? Do you know? When you're listening to a hollow, deceptive preacher. Do you know when you're listening or when you're voting for a hollow, deceptive governmental leader? 
You might not like him. It doesn't mean to say he's deceptive. Do you know? Do you know is the issue. Because if you don't know, you could be led astray. So he's, he's putting the emphasis here on us. Church, you must know. Many of you are working in industries where these hollow, deceptive philosophies are working. And you think, well, because I'm being blessed in the system, it's okay. And that's fine. I'm not saying leave the job. What I'm saying, recognize it. So it doesn't begin to influence you. I'm not saying you have to leave the company. Because we want you in, we want you in the mountain. We want you taking Christ into that workplace. But we don't want that to influence. No, if it, if it drives you up the wall and puts you in a corner, then you'll have to move. Come on. If it's causing you to do unrighteous things, then get out. But if it's not, work within the system, take Christ in, because if you, you're the only light in that system. And if you don't become salt and light, how will they know? Some Christians go, oh, I feel, it. I feel this spirit's in this place. I need to get out. Grow up. You've got the greatest spirit in you. That's what you're meant to be. You're meant to be salt and light. But you're not meant to be take, overtaken by the same spirit that's in them. Hello? You're meant to be salt and light. Not salt and pepper, salt and light. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 says this. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Now he's talking about those who have been taken by hollow philosophies and deceit. And he's saying this. Those who oppose him, must you must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who takes them captive to do his will. The enemy has got one role, and it is to take you captive. And inside every philosophy, and inside every mountain, the potential is to take you captive. Let me show you one illustration, very easy, that we could all identify with, and you'll all fall for, or potentially fall for. If I pay you an extra £20, will you do X, Y, Z? Money has a way of leading you into captivity. Come on. It's amazing. When I used to work... In, the, in, in this country's, at one time, it was the biggest union. The print union was the biggest. Margaret Thatcher destroyed our union, as was the domino effect. Once she took the national, the NGA, the National Graphic Union, the rest went. The miners went. Everything went. And here's what I learned about being under a union. They're a waste of space. They take your money and give you nothing. Why? Because they themselves are governed by law. So they can't do anything for you that the law doesn't permit them to do. But well, this is what used to happen is, if in my time, when, if you worked for a company, you had to join the union. Because if, if you didn't work for the union, the phrase they used to use was, you were black labor. In other words, that had nothing to do with color. It had meant to do with, you're not in a union, so why should you get the benefits? And they would literally walk off the machines if you wasn't in the union. They forced you. So you were a captive to majority. And it's amazing. When it came to 
renegotiating for a rise, a pay rise, our foreman would say, you know what, Gaffer, we're flat out. We can't do another thing. We're on shifts. You've got us doing this. You've got us doing that. You've got us doing this. Well, how does another £30 a week sound? I'll tell you what, they'll go back and find out another way. As soon as he put the dough on the table, all of a sudden, we opened up. It was like the wave, the waters opened up. Captivity. Captivity. Another one, opportunity. Oh, I've been waiting for this opportunity all my life. And then it comes. Or I've always wanted to do this. Then all of a sudden it opens up. And guess what? You think, well, it's God. It's got to be God. But if you can't discern, if you don't know what's hollow and you don't know what's deceptive, how do you know what opportunity? It's an opportunity for who? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. Opportunity for who? For you or for the enemy? Come on. You've got to know the peace of God. And the opportunity is not the peace. You know, if I say to a little girl on the street, would you like an ice cream? What's the chances of her following me? Hello? I've offered her something she wants. And she's like a lamb to a slaughter. She thinks he's going to get me an ice cream. And I've lured her into a false place, a bad place. And you're all worried that your kids can just walk off and we warn them not to speak to what? But do you know when you hear a strange voice? Strange voices are speaking in those mountains. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Who's speaking to you in the mountain? Whose voice are you listening to? Opportunity is not always God. Well, how do I know, Pastor? Well, you need to talk to God. Well, if I go here, I can do this. Yeah, but if you go here, it will, it will actually give you what you want, but it will take everything that you, what you add. It will give you what you want, but it will take everything you add. Whoa. I turned down a 10 grand, 10 grand pay rise when I was walking out to leave the ministry. They offered me 10 grand a year. And then, dumb as I was, I thought, because you were making people redundant, I thought, well, if I stay around for a bit longer, they might give me redundancy. And God says, leave now. You're not sticking around until this thing is convenient for you. I called you now, out. I got a rebuke from him. Because I left, and then they hit they needed some, uh, there was a time when they, they were down on some staff and they wanted some experience, so they called me back in. So it was a point for a couple of months where I was working in here and I was going back to work. And I heard the God's voice speak to me on the top of the machine. And he went, what are you doing here? And I thought, well, have you seen what they're paying me down at the road in church? Honest. Because I, when I left work, I left not for a handsome fee, believe me. And I left. Why? Because I knew this is what God had called me to do. And I thought, this is a great way of getting foot in both camp, getting blessed. God says, what are you doing here? I told you, out. And when I heard that voice, it was like, okay, I'm out. That was God. But it was an opportunity. But it was giving me what I wanted, but it was taking everything that I had. 
please be careful. Please be careful. You've got to know before God. The Bible says that he leads us by still waters. He leads us. So if you go before God and fast, yeah, fast. You mean that I mean you've got to do without food? Fast. And I don't mean chocolate. And I don't mean crisp. Fast. No food. What? Yeah, how bad do you want to be led? Until you get the word of the Lord. Okay, this is fine. If you get the peace of God on it, go for it. I don't just miss your dinner and say, I fasted. How bad do you want to know the will of God? Enough said. Pastor, pastor. I, you know, there's a person who I know, named Remain, nameless. And every time they see me, they run. They're embarrassed. Why? Because they say they come to this church, but I never see them. Why? You tell me why. Have you been working? Yeah, I've been working. That's what they tell me every time I see them. I've been working. Okay, so what you're saying is you've been you're held captive. If you've got to walk with your head down on the other side of the road because you're ashamed of talking to me because you know what you're doing is not right. All I ask you, where have you been? You can say it's got nothing to do with you. Fine. He said, I've been working. Fine. You've got to live with it. I'm not your judge. I'm just the guy you ring when you need help. Satan wants to rule in these mountains. Don't give him any room. So, you're brought down to the grave, he says. Go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 14, verse 15. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. I love this. Those who stare at you, ponder at your fate. This is a, gloat, this is a, a gloating uh, veranda that we're allowed to gloat at this fella. Now, our Bible tells us don't gloat when you're enemy, but this time we're allowed. This is all of heaven stands there and we can have a, ramp, a damn good laugh at him and say, ha ha, sucker, loser. But here's what he's saying. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Those who you stare at you and ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? The man who made a world a desert, who overthrew cities and would not let his captives go home. Is this the guy? In other words, we're going to see his insignificance. We're going to see him for what he really is, for who he really is. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like that job? Now, when I saw that European trophy walking past my eyes, I thought it was in the moment. But I want to be the one, like the Olympic torch, I want to be the one to kick him where it hurts. I want to be the one that heaven chooses, go on, kick him. Have a good kick and make us all laugh. I know it's not going to happen, but I like that. To say, you, you dipstick, you caused me endless pain and look at you if I'd have known how big you were or how small you were and how significant you were I'd have dealt with it a lot more that's what he's saying because it's like the Wizard of Oz have you seen that movie behind the curtain this little insignificant man shouting his mouth off like he's, you know, he owns the place and when Dorothy exposes him this bloke is cowering behind 
He's cowarding. He's now been exposed. That's exactly what that scripture is saying about Satan. Once we take the cover off him and we see he's insignificant, you'd have dealt with him a lot more severe. Come on. You would have. If I'd have known now, I should have knew then what I know now, I'd have dealt with him differently. God says, I've been trying to tell you for 75 years, Tony. Irrespective of how long you've been a Christian. But my concern is not so much what he's doing in the nations, because I know I expect him. I'm well versed in what he's doing in the nations. I'm under no illusion what he's doing. I have my own daughter who's a captive. I have my own son who's a captive, and I watch their behavior. So I'm under no illusions of what he's doing. I'm not blind. I don't run in the church and shut myself away from the world. I'm, I'm very aware that we have to get into our city and change our city for the better. I'm very aware of that. And what we heard this morning, God's going to replant the plot, uh, plots, pots, right? Our father's the gardener. He knows where to put us. That's a great word. Heaven spoke this morning. That means some of us are going on a trip. I don't mean trip, trip, as in drugs. We're going on a trip. On a field trip. Amen? If in a couple of months' time, uh, a couple of weeks' time, I'll share with you something that's been going on in the background, and it'll astound you. As God prepares us for going out. Amen? I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in God incidents. Amen? I've had to wait 16 years for something that God spoke, and now it looks like it could be coming to pass. Right? Which involves you. 16 years, how long? Right, stop whinging them. When's my, when's my dream going to make come true? When you start serving someone else's. But my concern is what he's doing in the church. How Satan gets in the church and messes up the church. Because hollow, deceptive teaching and philosophies is just as much in the church as it is in the world. You read your Bible. He's warning those inside the church because he knows there are people in the church messing it up. There's many, many scriptures we could use. There are different Christs being offered to people. Different Christs, believe it or not. Different forms of Christ. There are antichrists in the church. Antichrist meaning anything that tries to stop Jesus Christ, his word, his kingdom coming through. Anything. Anything. We know there is the, the Antichrist, but there are Antichrists coming in. And for all we know, there could be one in this church right now. There could be seven in this church. Why? Because right now, you're, you're stopping this message from coming through to you. So anything that stops this message coming through is an antichrist. We're not calling you the antichrist. We're saying the spirit of the antichrist works in our midst. So when we refuse, when we hold back, when we shut down, that's an antichrist spirit working in the church. That's why those who worship God must worship in what? In spirit and in truth. There is no truth without spirit. Amen? So we must work and be aware that hollow, deceptive teachings can come in and take us out. 
Amen? We have to be very careful about this. So I said to you, I read this statement out to you a couple of weeks ago, and it's from Michael Horton, and it's about secularism. I just want to read it to you again. It said, this is a gradual conformity of our thinking. So what is secularism? How does secularism get into the church? Well, here's what he's saying. Secularism is the gradual conformity of our thinking, our, excuse me, our beliefs and our commitment and practices to the pattern of this age. Okay? It's not just something that happens to the church, but it's something that is happening in the church. Yeah? In fact, it's difficult to think of secularism as anything other than Christian heresy. I like what he says there. I think he said it really succinctly. It's not what happens to the church, it's what happens in the church. The philosophies from outside come into the church, and this is what happens. Preachers begin to see parallels. Now, you've all been on a train, and you've all seen a train at the side of you. Right. And it looks like you're parallel. Okay? Until it starts moving. I don't know if you've never noticed, but not all trains are going to the same place. I'm glad you realized that. But it's amazing you can go two or three miles, example, down the track all going in the same direction. But at some point, you're going to start drifting. And the further you drift, the further you get away from each other. Is that true? Right. So because I can see a parallel, it doesn't mean to say I should ride that track. Because I need to see where that parallel will take. It's not safe to get on that train. That's why I'm on my train, not that track. Because I'll tell you, why don't you do this for fun? Put a foot on both trains. Right. And see how it divides you. You'll have a way. It has its own way of determining when you start feeling the stretch and you start talking like Michael Jackson... You'll pull one leg in and you'll jump on one train. That's exactly what's happening in the church. We see parallels and we think we're fine to get on them because we can see the similarity the way church runs and the way business runs. I can't. Don't confuse the two. Now, if you're thinking of parallels, well, they use pieces of paper. They use a pen. Get over it. We're not talking about that kind of parallel. We're talking about the way they run church. Church is not a business. It's the house of God. It's not a democracy. It's a theocracy. This is God's house, God's way. Not God's house, but we run it our way. Well, then it's not God's house. You know, when your kids try to run your house your way, there's a problem. Divine order has to come in and say, hey, if you don't like it, son, jog on. Kids don't like that, do they? Funny enough, we don't like it in the church neither. So we say, God, you're no longer wanted, no longer welcomed. Get out. We'll run the church. And every Sunday, we'll try and present it to you. God says, don't try and give me something I don't want. Now, I've used this illustration before, so I'll use it again. If, I were, if you were going to build me my dream house, my dream house, whose dream house is it? Right. 
and then you build it and then give it to me, whose dream house is it? Because you didn't ask me what kind of house I wanted. It's supposed to be my dream house. You didn't ask me what plans, what do I want? Do I want a pool here? Do I want a pool on the roof? Do I want, it? Do I want a gymnasium? Do I want a golf course on the back? My dream house. My dream house. I want a church. I want a church at the bottom of our garden. So how far to go? I want a pool on the top. I want a golf course to my left. I want it all. I want a cinema here. I don't have to leave my complex. It's my dream house. I want all you lot coming to me. It's my dream house. Right. God, God designed one like that. I'm not talking about pools and golf courses. God's built a dream house that he wants you to be part of. So what he's got is a load of pastors building their version of what they want, and hopefully God will accept it. God does not build like that. It's God. He's already set the pattern. He says, just follow the pattern. How hard is that? Just follow the pattern. And then what we're trying to do is wonder why God won't fill his own house. So if I gave, if I gave you a house, ladies, if I gave you a house and I furnished it and expected you to like it, what do you think you're going to do? You're either going to refuse to live there or you're going to change everything, aren't you? True? Oh, well, I bought you this, I bought you this ugly-looking vase in the corner. And I know you'd like that. Really? And I bought you these pictures on the walls and you don't like it. First thing you're going to do is change everything. That's what we do in church. We put everything in this house and we say, it's for you, God. It's for your glory. So if it was for me, why didn't I get consulted? Why am I insulted rather than consulted? This is what's happening with hollow philosophies and deception. It's coming in and the spirit of the Antichrist is in the church. No wonder the people are refusing Christ. Because we've dumbed this thing down so much that we, people are asking for more and more of less and less. So when people like you and me come into some churches, we completely freak them. Why? Because our standard's higher. Because his standard's higher, right. But, believe it or not, there's many churches out there who will call you heretical because you stand and worship in the Spirit. Now, heretical and being stupid are two different things. You can be stupid when you worship, but you don't have to necessarily mean heretical. A lot of things done in the name of Jesus should be done in order. But they're not heretical. They should just be done in order. Yeah? Speaking in tongues is not heretical, is it? But the church I came from, it was. We've been speaking in church. It's not heretical. But in some corners of the world, it is. I surely could not have given a word this morning. that The elders would have arrested her. He went to a church with some of you. Phil went to a church. Sorry for saying you. He went to the church with the youth and was shut down as he was speaking because they didn't like what he was saying. And they've been saying, we've been looking for a pastor for how many years? Ten years. No, you're not looking for a pastor. You like the control. Stop lying. You're not looking for a pastor at all. They said, the Jews said they've been looking for the Messiah and when he stood in front of him, right, so let me just read this scripture for you and then we're out of here. It's a long one. You got the wind, you got the patience. Remember, we're going behind the scenes. I want you to go behind the scenes now. This is the church we're going to look at. Ezekiel chapter 8. 
behavior of the priests, the so-called men of God. Because deception and hollow teachings start with the priesthood, the pastor, the teachers, the prophets. Why? Because as they speak, they begin to influence the crowds. Okay? I say this because I'm not afraid to say this, even though I'm one of them. But I'm not like them. So hear what he says. In the sixth year, in the sixth month of the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came upon me. I said, if you want to go behind the scenes, you've got to have God. Holy Ghost, take you in. And I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be the waist down, he was like fire. And from there, up his appearance was bright and glowing metal. He stretched out and looked like, uh, looked like a hand and took me by the hair of, of my head. The Spirit lifted me up between the heavens and in the vision of God, he took me to Jerusalem. To the entrance to the north gate and the inner court where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. Right. There's the scene. Now look, look what happens here. And there before me was the glory of God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, look towards the north. So I looked at the entrance of the north gate of the altar, and I saw the idol of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the house of Israel is doing here. Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. So there's a behavior inside that he's not happy with. Okay? But you will see things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court, and I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. And he said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. So I dug in the wall, and I saw a doorway. And there he said to me, go in and see the wicked and detestable things that they are doing. Dig. A little deeper, and you'll see things you didn't expect to see if you just dig a little deeper. So I went and in, and I looked, and I saw portrayed all over the walls all kinds of crawling things and detestable animals on all the idols of the house of Israel. In front of them stood 70 elders ooh, of the house of Israel, and Jezania son of Shaphan, was standing among them, each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. He said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? Wow. They say the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land, Again, he said, you will see them doing things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and I saw a woman sitting there mourning for Tammuz. Now, Tammuz is a Syrian idol, something like the Phoenician uh, Adonis, yeah, which 
was a, which focused around the sun. So it was like a sun god idol. Yeah? He said to me, do you see this son of man? You will see things that are even more detestable than this. How many times have we heard that? Then he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And there at the entrance of the temple between the portico of the altar were about five men, 25 men, sorry, with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east. They were bowing down to the sun in the east. That's Tammuz, the God. He said to me, have you seen this son of man? It is a trivial matter. Is it a trivial matter for the house of Judah to do the testable things that they do in here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually provoke me to anger? Look at them, putting the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will deal with them in anger. And I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. All this is going on in a God-filled nation. Elders, leaders, each one has got his own idol. Worship could be my idol. Come on. Business could be Phil's idol. Paul's, I don't know, give me an illustration. Sport. Sport could be Paul's idol. Each elder has got his own idol. And he's worshipping it inside the house. In other words, he gives it emphasis. So whatever's in, whatever fills the leader's heart, he then gives it emphasis so that others can worship what he's worshipping. Come on. So if it's prosperity, prosperity. If it's secularism, it's secular. Whatever fills the leader's heart will spill over to the people. That's why leadership is influence. Yeah? First of all, we see the hand of the sovereign Lord came upon them. Came upon Ezekiel. In the church natural, the hand of the Lord is not upon the men. That's why it's natural. Because if it was natural, and you know, I'm building naturally, I don't need God. But to build the church, like he says, I need God to show me. So the hand of the Lord must be upon us. Gone quiet. How do you know the hand of God is upon my, my life and upon our eldership? You must know. You've got to know that the hand of God is upon this leadership. Because if the hand of God is not upon... Now, it's not upon this leadership because we tell you. It's got to be upon because you see it and it witnesses with you. And it witnesses with us. Not just you, us. Because if it's all about you, then you become the judge and jury. It's got to witness with us. Not because I just say it, because we demonstrate it. You've got to witness it. Do you know, in, in many circles, men wouldn't talk like this to you. Because they don't want you to know what I know. Can you imagine? You've got the choice. Who? In verse 2, from what appeared to be the waist down, he was like a fire. And from there, his appearance was the bright, glowing metal. He stretched out what looked like his hand and took me by the hair of, the head, of my head. The spirit lifted me between and, uh, the earth and heaven. And in the vision of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance to the north gate in the inner court, where, he, where the idol provokes to jealousy. 
We need access into the throne of God so God can expose the works on the ground. If we don't get access into the spirit and God doesn't show us what's taking place in our own midst, then all we'll ever do is listen to him and because he's saying it, we'll keep nodding. We must have access into the spirit so that God can expose the works of men. The works of men have to be exposed on this earth. If we're going to build church unusual, then man has to stop doing what he's doing and God has to take over. God has to take us in and show us. That's our leadership. We're in the throne room constantly asking God to show us if there's anything wrong here, get it out. I really don't believe I really don't think sometimes you understand how clean the house is. When you've been in a corrupt house, you know how clean this one is. I didn't say we're perfect, it's clean. Verse 4 of that scripture, And there before me was the glory of God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, look to the north. See, the real unusual church carries the glory of God. This morning, we carried the glory. In our worship this morning, we wanted heaven. Any church that just wants worship without heaven, forget it. We'll stay here all morning in order to touch him if we need to. I don't have to speak. I don't have to speak. But at times when I need to speak, I'll speak. But this morning was a beautiful presence. We spent an hour in worship, touching the throne room. Our worship should always be like that. God should always be speaking. Heaven should always be manifesting. That's what makes us a church unusual. So many people just use worship as a set. 20 minutes, 25 minutes, that's it. It doesn't matter what God's doing, what God's saying, you've had your time. And then the preacher preaches, and there's a big clock at the back, and I can see it ticking down, and he's had his time now, and that's it, it's gone. No spirit activity whatsoever. Man-made, man-driven. Now, some of us are glad of a clock because some preachers will go on forever and ever and ever. Amen. And I know you think I'm one of them. Verse 6. And he said to me, son of man, do you see what they're doing? The utterly detestable things that the house of Israel is doing right there. Things that will drive me from my sanctuary. Do you see what God's doing, church? Can you see what God's doing in our midst? Don't think, don't just see what God's doing on a Sunday morning. Can you see what God's doing with us as a people? This morning, you heard that he's about to plant us. I'll talk to Phil. You know, this morning, I heard God say to me he was going to plant. And it came out of your mouth, so you're in trouble. Did you hear what God's doing? Now, the thing is, if you've heard it, now you're guilty. You've now got to go and do something about it. God, plant me. I'd like to plant you. <laughs> Not that way. I'll be a plant in the Lord. Seriously. God wants to do something with us. We need leaders who can draw him into the sanctuary. Into the sanctuary. Leaders who can get him back. Leaders who can bring him back into the house. You see, I knew, it doesn't surprise me that our house is like this in worship because what you are, you reproduce. I'm a worshiper. So I reproduce worship. I'm a leader, so I reproduce leader. 
leaders. If I get other men and women in our leadership team, they'll reproduce what they are. It's just a law. A lot of the spirit, you reproduce what you are. Verse 11, in front of them stood 70 elders of the house of Israel. Jazaniah, it's a great name, isn't it? Jazaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. He said to me, son of man, have you sent the elders? Have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in darkness? What's going on in the house? Darkness. Each has a shrine to his own idol. Each of them has a shrine. Lord help him. The leadership became corrupt. Men allowed idol worship into the house. The worship is the door to letting different spirits in. It really is. That's why you just can't have any Tom, Dick and Harry doing what they're doing. You know, I was in one church and as they were leading, the song that came out of the leader's mouth was Coldplay. Coldplay. Some of you don't even know what Coldplay, who Coldplay is. The chart song. It was coming out on the stage as they're playing it. In another church, they play Michael Jackson's music before you go into the church so it lets the people know we're a church with a difference. Oh, you definitely are. You know what I'd say? Play Beat It. Get the heck out of here. Michael Jackson on a Sunday morning turns up in their church. Is it any wonder that church is closed down now? We've allowed another wor- idol in the house, the worship in another God. Welcome to the world of the contemporized secular church. All we're trying to do is get it out there. You can make your choices. Make your choices. If God is God, serve God. If Baal is your God, serve Baal. But one way or the other, don't try and do what I just said. Put your foot on one train one another train. Somewhere down the line, you're going to be split. You will be divided. Let's stand to our feet, please. This morning we sang, we feel the heartbeat of heaven, the wind of your spirit. Let it rain, we sang, let it rain. When it rains, that is the time to pull up the roots. That's the best time to pull up the roots when it rains. So when the Holy Spirit begins to rain on this house, the roots will come up. The weeds will come up. And God can separate the stuff that any idol any idols that's in the house, whether in the leadership or in the people, God can begin to expose it and pull it up. It's a lot easier to pull the weeds out when the ground's wet. You don't do that when the ground's dry. That's why the Bible says, let the end of the age do that. God will do that sovereignly, globally. But we can, God's doing it in our house now. Today he started it. So right now, as the rain of heaven's in our house, if there's any idol worship in you, anything that pulls you, pushes you, moves you, you've got to get before God and say, Lord, I do not want to become contemporary because I will expect my leadership to run church the way I want it. 
And knowing Tony and Phil and Paul, they're not going to do that. So I'm a, one of us has to change. And you know it's not going to be the leadership. It's going to be the people's got to change. All our hearts have to change. God is trying to pull up the weeds. So any weeds in your heart, God's going after them. So I say, Lord, let it rain. Let it rain in this house. Uh, God rains, but let it rain. So the weeds can be pulled up, separated, cleared out the garden, plant fresh seeds. God is about to take us beyond our wall. And God can't take you if your pot is filled with the wrong stuff. Come on. God can't take us anywhere if our pot is filled with the wrong stuff. He's got to replant us. He's got to break some of that stuff out, get rid of that weeds. I'm not the gardener here. Many of you could talk about this a lot better than I could, but I'm doing well. Right? My father is the gardener. This morning, I'm the sower, and I'm sowing my father's seeds into your heart. Your job now is to water it with the Holy Ghost. One man sows, another man waters, but it's God who gives the increase. So this morning, my job is to, I'm just sowing seeds into your heart. Don't let two seeds in, be in the same pot in conflict with each other. Don't try and grow two different plants side by side. So come on, lift up your hands. Let's get serious with God just for a minute. Say, Lord, I need replanting. If there's anything inside me, oh God, you're gracious and you love me enough, Lord, to separate what's in my heart. If there's any contention, any conflict, any confusion, oh God, I give you, Holy Ghost, permission to come and sift my soil. Put your hands, your fingers through my soil. Break up the fallow ground. With the water that's coming from heaven. Come on, church. Just please raise your hands with me. Let's just join in the prayer at this moment in time. And just say, Lord, work in my heart. Work in my heart. Work in my children's heart. Work in my husband's heart. Work in my wife's heart. Work in the partner that you're going to bring to me. Before you bring them to me, work in their heart. I don't want a contaminated partner. Lord, if you're going to transfer me into another pot, Lord, let it give me, stretch my capacity. Give me greater capacity. Some of you are going to have to look, join up teams. You're going to be going from one pot to another pot. You're going to have to learn to synergize. Holy Ghost is moving on us. Oh, Holy Ghost. Right now, Holy Ghost. Let the heartbeat of heaven be in this house. Let the heartbeat of heaven be in this house. The heartbeat. Oh, mighty God.